Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. Today is a special episode dedicated to one of our listeners. We explore the importance of distinguishing between the fear of being and the fear of not being in order to process each completely, the difference between a transcendence algorithm and fear healing one in sagehood, how past life residual issues can affect us this life, and much more, of course. If you have challenges you want addressed on the show, feel free to reach out to either one of us. Be brave. Your soul may depend on it. Thanks for listening. Well, greetings and welcome forward, everybody. Here with me is, of course, Stace Barron. I haven't introduced you by your name in a while because <laughs> I assume people know who you are by now. And uh-huh. um, But I, I did give up on people listening in order because that seems unreasonable. So I suppose I should say hello <laughs> to you, Stace. Thank you for being here. We're going to be doing a deeper dive into than we've um, so far done into transcendental metaphysics, which is always fun. And I'll warn the audience right now, my mind's a little softer than usual. So it's going to be an interesting challenge for me to keep up with um, the ins and outs of transcendental metaphysics. And we have a real life story that Stace is going to be talking about uh, the application of this and, and how it fits for someone who's dealing with stuff right now. And uh, I have a feeling I've got a matching story, but I, my, my heart says I do, but my mind doesn't know what it is yet. So <laughs> where should we... We're, by the way, just before we get into that, talking about the mind, I had this experience this morning that I don't, I, I rarely have had. It was like I saw something so clearly in my head and I felt something I was while I was working with someone. And there was just this stark difference between the seeing and the feeling and the ability to put words around it. It was like there was this chasm between the two. And I paused. I'm like, wow, look at that. I have clarity, but not words. That was a very new experience for me that I'm sure was a positive sign of what's happening. But I could like see them as distinct things. It was like, oh, the wordification is actually a totally secondary thing. But the way I was wired up was that they were very much all wrapped into one. So I experienced that I was processing reality emotionally first and mentally second, I guess is what I'm saying wow and and of course that's really significant given the um combination uh hood arc you're Mm -hmm. on but it's also really indicative of exactly the uh, non-pre-dual uh Mm -hmm. dynamicals that happen as you uh, people meditate for 30 years uh some of them will get that kind of space between the registration of experience yeah 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 and its description yeah and it was like i saw it I saw the difference and then it was like some, some me, I guess my soul was like, Oh, look at that. Look at that difference. And then the more I looked at the difference, it started to get wider and wider. And then I started to feel how much will it took to turn the picture and the feeling into words. And, and I kind of didn't want to, I needed to, because it was a professional obligation in that moment, but it was really cool just to sit there and be like, you know, like they can be different and that's new in a way. Well, that, that's a beautiful segue here because mm. um, in that sense, uh, the way that you can make sense of and appreciate from that meta place 
fits exactly how identity offers that there is a, a, a soul eye mind different than a mind eye ah uh, yes right and of course i've been heavily identified with the mind eye uh, we all we all are right mm. and so um only when uh, we go as we said so often tabula rasa in a pre-dual uh, slash non-dual um event that non not event basically uh do we actually give room for the mind of the soul eye which we, we have a, a mental body in the soul, as we said before, in between lifetimes, we can abstract experience and analyze experience. The soul has a mind. But uh, if you come from standard uh, um, Buddhistic transcendental metaphysics, there'd be no way for you to register that you're registering a difference between the experience of an experience and its downline verbal oriented description yeah you'd be encouraged to let that you go yes, whoever exactly. whatever that eye is is some artifact get rid of that exactly it would just be sort of like a, a, a non-dual master might say or this ding right now uh it it what it does to you is uh, only a little burp in the system as you are rewiring your dependency on an analytical dualistic organ that imparts illusion to you. You see? That was but, a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we would say, of course, no, that's just the mind eye starting to notice that the, or the soul eye's mind, noticing that the mind eye's mind is deteriorating its hold mm -hmm. on the being. And, so and I, right I start there, to feel anger in me about this because that's so, it's so subtle and, and, and it takes a lot of work to get to that place where there's even a fork in the road. Yeah. And then for most people, when they do get to that fork in the road, they're so, their mental body is so sort of deprecated and their identity thinned out. Right. They're, they're disoriented and, um, uh, and debilitated more words that start with D E and end with E D. Um, <laughs> and, and so, well, you're, you know, the wisdom got you from a to B. And so, yeah, sure. Why not let go of uh, the rest of what is arising um, when that's actually the, the place where the mining of all that work can start to happen. Exactly. Instead of gets steered into dysfunction. Um, the grip, yeah, the, like the to, attachment to non-attachment. The attachment to non-attachment, which we'll get forward with here, I think, in this episode. And, and a good way to summarize and go forward here is that um, we always, and in, in lovingly so, talk about the, where the rubber meets the road, where neo, well, we would call neo-transcendental metaphysics, meets the human perception uh, a road, when that rubber meets the road. The metaphysics to help someone go through that um, is really important, which is why today I want to I want to dedicate this um, this podcast to all the people out there who uh, may have uh, are currently or have or will have some sort of um, a slow motion event uh, relative to the pre-dual aspect of divine being that will not be really 
um, uh, fully digestible without a reboot of the way they were taught mostly uh, what what non-dual enlightenment really means. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, in the traditions, it means the the end of uh, any of the illusion, of the attaching to the illusion of a personal I, which is originated and which originates from the mind only which is why it's lights out at death for Buddhism or lights out after a thousand lives in, uh, in Advaita Vedanta or Hinduism. Uh, either way, the net result is either immediately one life or after a thousand lives until samsara has been drained out of the uh, consciousness enough. So in that sense, I want to dedicate to all those out there and begin with um, actually a real live example uh, that resonates very clearly with yours, Joseph. Um, uh, I'm currently a, a, a woman in a 32-year-old woman in uh, in Europe um, contacted me because of an extraordinary series of events uh, and and asked uh, the facilitator she's working with um, is very busy and she and she lives very far away and so um, she can only talk with her uh, every six weeks five or six weeks sometimes a little longer. So my name was on the bottom, I guess, of uh, this wonderful facilitator's um, uh, website. So she took a, she swallowed hard and um, been listening to all the podcasts and says, I got to talk to this guy. So I'd like to start with her. Her name is Laura. She gave me permission to use her first name. Um, Laura, hello. I know you'll be listening to this. Uh, so uh, I'd like to just um, unwrap that a little bit and give it, give the story, and then I'd like your comments uh, about it, Joseph, because what she's going through right now uh, is very resonant with what you're going through and what we just described. So mm -hmm. it's the perfect the perfect uh, topic here. Mm -hmm. So um, about five years ago, Laura had um, more of a Hindu based Kundalini event. It was an expanding. In other words, if you're not familiar with it, Hindu metaphysics uh, of enlightenment, you expand so far out, so far up and out, your personal identity thins and thins and thins by the expansion. It's an expansion-based thinning of the self, allowing room for all sorts of bandwidths of spirit to start becoming accessible through the third eye. It's basically a third eye mediated uh, version of an of a more enlightened access. That would be allness, um, right, rather than notness. Yes, exactly. Mm. Very different dynamic, and that's really important if you're going to try to wrestle in um, understanding what the East has been talking about, which is really hard for a lot of Westerners to do. So um, five years ago, she had this expanded one. Her her third eye popped open in her late twenties. And all of a sudden, she could see things, she could feel things, she remembered things from other lives, uh, she could feel what spirit was really um, about, uh, remember what it was like after death, if I remember right, Laura, I hope my memory's okay here. Uh, anyway, it, it changed her life, completely changed her life. And it was wonderful. Uh, she didn't, she had a little trouble um, integrating it. But uh, it worked out okay because it was so gentle and warm and present. Uh, and it added to her life. It it didn't subtract from her life. But until uh, until mm. well, uh, <laughs> a, a little a few years, I think, if I'm right, uh, 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 sometime after she tried to will a, um, a a blocking of the personal, so she could abide with this more full time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, and that's a reasonable thing to do. This is before she ever encountered the facilitator uh, that, who's uh, doing work similar to Identity's work. And, uh, and so she she just sort of instinctively tried to put a block there. Uh, it didn't work very well, but it it, it did it did um, uh, did the job a little bit. Uh, it, uh, she didn't she couldn't drag she couldn't get dragged down into what she calls her term the strategic world. Uh, <laughs> she called so, it that while cool. Yeah, I think because of she's been listening to the podcast, gotcha. right? So um, it, it worked a little bit. Um, but as I as I shared with her when we talked about that, uh, that that block, is going to start to interfere with first chakral bandwidths um, that are involved with being human. So um, that she she was managing that just fine for a while, but then uh, she uh, experimented uh, with uh, some mushrooms mm-hmm. um, about a year ago, approximately, and uh, it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as the right in the middle of the trip, what happened? was uh, debilitating uh all she could feel and uh, and i'll paraphrase here to compress this for time's sake all she could feel is that um the there was an uh, an overriding um experience that she was losing herself not all that wonderful expansion uh, 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 uh was all of a sudden uh, supplanted by how she felt she couldn't find herself and she her own words are that she was in a container a weird kind of container where she couldn't find herself this way toward herself and everything that she looked out in the world was an illusion it was it was these are her exact words everything looked like it was just a dancing uh, uh illusion that didn't have any substance basically Mm-hmm. So that's what happened during the trip. And after she came uh, out of uh, the experience, it wouldn't go away. Oh boy. The, uh, the um, expanded uh, third eye thing um, uh, no longer was expansive or comforting to her. In other words, it, it, it rushed in like a river um, and wiped out uh, the access she had to the, to the, to spirit. And so, it, and it didn't put her anywhere except deeper and more deep, deeply and more deeply. It started. It, 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 she tried to put it away um, for the last year or so, um, and so that's what she couldn't. And it took her all that time to finally get a hold of me and say, "Help! I, I don't know what's happening here." Hmm. So it was. Uh, it was really compelling, and, and and she was tearful and explaining it, and so honest and so real and so authentic. My heart just opened to her. Uh, I know exactly. I knew exactly what was going on. But what happened next was uh, so far so good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, what happened next is that I saw with my own third eye that oh, way long ago she, as a man, she had a, a non-dual enlightenment in an in an ashram, uh, and uh, uh, it had, had the same effect. Uh, he couldn't feel herself himself at that time. This is what I saw. She didn't know this yet. Mm-hmm. He couldn't feel himself. Everything looked like an illusion. The um, the like, apparently the in the in the picture that I got that unraveled um, the the uh, guru at the time um, uh, uh, didn't really know how to interpret the combination of how suffering 
was still going on, even though obviously this student had touched uh, the non, the non-dual was touched had been touched by <laughs> the non-dual notness enough to make him extremely uh, uh, and deeply suffering instead of being liberated from suffering. Mm -hmm. So uh, the guru couldn't really help him. And uh, I guess after feeling through this past life, it looked like some months and and the person uh, that she was in that life was so distraught um, and so made crazy that suicide became the only thing that uh, they could do. And so I saw very clearly um, and and, uh, that that he jumped off a cliff and killed himself. And that's when it got started to get really interesting because Laura, when I said that, uh, just was extremely um, uh, touched because she said all she could do in the few weeks before she started talking with me is go out into the balcony and jump off the balcony um, from, from a high place. And so the more we talked, the more it got clear that this past life, what we would call an identity, a para-persona, mm-hmm. a persona from a past life was taking up space in her present incarnative personality, backdrafted by her previous access to spirit. You see, um, the mm-hmm. mushroom opened up the non-dual track which is a, com- a completely different track than the Kundalini wholeness access uh, track that's very comforting and very spiritual, blah, blah, blah. But the, the mushrooms did a nasty number. Whether or not, sometimes this happens in identities experience that uh, um, this was preordained or pre- prearranged in the, you know, before they were, people were born, or sometimes it can just be a bad batch of mushrooms that had this effect. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, it didn't really matter. What mattered is that she was reliving the insanity of this. Uh, she worked, she was working in a restaurant and uh, oh, I was starting to forget what, what to write down on her pad. Couldn't understand what the, what her, um, her uh, uh, boss was telling her. Um, and so yeah, on got, the list of professions you'd not want to be in when this was happening, I would think uh, restaurants would be on the top 10. Yes. Busy, absolutely. a lot of content, a lot um, of things to track memorization. Okay. Exactly. Managing chaos, which you need your mental body to do uh, in Mm -hmm. such a situation. Yeah. What what was really helpful to her was that she was able then, um, unlike this para persona from that life who never got any help from any master, I slowly uh, was providing, I was realizing I'm talking to Laura and this this para persona. We didn't need to um, uh, differentiate because it was flooding her so much uh, uh, that there, the horse was out of the barn and we couldn't, there was no way I was going to get the, the, the horse back in the barn of dualistic safety and security, right? Yeah. So uh, she's been living this for about a year until it kept intensifying, intensifying, intensifying. So once I shared that with her, it became another whole ball game uh, because if I had been a pure non-dual uh, teacher or, or master, I would have told her that um, I would have helped her um, realize that this, even her suffering was an illusion, 
and that uh, that she must have a hidden attachment to suffering that uh, she needs to transcend. You see, that's what the standard uh, pre-dual thing yeah. would do, or non-dual thing. And that's why the whole point we want to make in this podcast is the the way you define and relate and, and metaphysicalize uh, 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 spiritual events will absolutely configure how you deal with it in someone's suffering from a certain hiccup in the process. So uh, she got some comfort with that, which, of course, a pre-dual, a non-dual master would say, wait, you're enabling Technically, yes. you're enabling their illusional suffering here, right? Now, now some gurus, of course, would have some compassion with that. Uh, I could have uh, turned myself in a pretzel to become a Buddhist psychologist in that moment, mm. which is really an interesting uh, pretzel. Uh, because they they will take money from people, as we've said. Uh, yeah, to, going back to what you said a minute ago, the, um, that's what makes it so confusing is because the invitation to deepen the transcendence and deal with the attachment would be delivered 90% of the time with so much compassion, it would be very hard to resist. Yes. There wouldn't be shaming. There well, wouldn't be, it wouldn't some sound, would, some would, some would, some would sure. Yeah, most not. Most yeah. Not. And so it would be, it wouldn't sound like an invitation to oppress or repress something inside yes. someone. It would sound like, Oh, right. sweetheart, you're still hanging on. I get it. And other everyone would nod and smile and, and, yeah. you know, and, and, but not appreciating that you're being invited to do something that's violent, actually, internally to oneself. Yes. yes. That loving, um, uh, vibe would be, would be actually helping them suppress the emotive reality of the suffering, mm -hmm. uh, because from Buddha, Buddhism's point of view, suffering is 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 as illusory as the self that experiences it. Yeah, it's like giving the the the, the kindness would be like anesthesia given to the patient yeah. before you cut them open, or right. hand them the knife to cut themselves open. Oh, oh good metaphor, buddy. Yeah. And exactly right. And that's the danger. There's a beautiful example of how standard uh, uh, non-dual teachings would not be able to help uh, what's really going on. Again, all in identity's uh, opinion, uh, what's really going on. So by framing it the way I did, she got some relief um, and said, well, what can I do? Uh, to um, to do to do work with this or, or how, how what should I do with it? And so the, the next thing that came out of my mouth was that well something like uh, in this sense what what she's doing is actually experiencing the terror of not being mm -hmm. it, and and she then she she hadn't put those dots together from the podcast from before that she'd listened to. And so uh, the terror of not being is, a, is an existential level, a soul level, a meta-existential contraction of our souls that occurred at our birth of soul, which is another uh, topic. Um, but the terror of being underlies personhood, as we've been saying for so long. The terror of not being underlies sagehood practice and the terror of non-being. I wish probably next uh, um, uh, podcast we'll talk about uh, sainthood versions of, uh, of how to help people. Mm -hmm. But in this case, um, I reflected on her that uh, feeling this terror is not something to compassionate over and 
seemingly accept and support but hiddenly as you just said hiddenly mm-hmm. um, uh, not seeing it as real so mm-hmm. you're going to have an affect that's warm and supportive but uh, inside that warm affect is a laser beam according to the metaphysics of the consciousness of the compassionator that mm-hmm. uh, uh, you're all hung up on an, uh, an illusion still. And um, that message is going to be still crossing the space inside of that blanket of semi-compassion and support. Yeah, and that, and that's what's so insidious about that kind of teaching. And the I, I've shared this before in this podcast, but I think it makes sense to um, share it again. I was working with a very skilled therapist for a number of years uh, in between 1.0 and 2.0 of identity. And Mm -hmm. uh, when I started working with uh, your wife, Bree, in a month or two, I had surfaced more unconscious material and pain than I had in like the previous five years. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't realize it until then, but it was because that therapist was was basically a Buddhist psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so was her experience or her orientation would be, oh no, of course we want everything to come out, everything to come out, everything received, everything loved, but with an existential picture of none of it's really essentially real. Yes. Exactly. And, uh, and the, the, the realness of those parts of us can mm-hmm. feel the difference and they're not going to come out if the end game is going to be to trans to be transcended because they already were ignored yeah. once and they're not going to subject themselves to that again. Exactly. Ignored right. once by parents. I mean, Oh, good point. Yes. And by this cultural world that yeah. dualistically mal conditions us to over attach and over identify with dualistic databases, you know? Yeah. So good, good point there. I'm glad you brought that in. Uh, this is not just an ivory, excuse me, ivory tower considerations here we're talking about real world suffering and a tragedy that happens when traditional in this case non-dual metaphysics have a loaded gun that shoots compassion but actually messages uh, somewhere deep that our deeper aspects can feel but not our conscious self uh, just as joseph said mm-hmm. it's insidious and not and we're it was not intended to be made to worsen the situation yeah. uh, from a Buddhist psychologist or a master like that, but indeed it does. And so not making a distinction that we're in identity, we would say we don't transcend our way uh, to, um, to uh, enlightenment. Yeah. Uh, we heal the, the fear of the terror of not being on our way to having the, pre-dual, non-dual find us. And that's the distinction between identity and identity's approach to what we call mental body enlightenment and, uh, and traditional Zen and all of its permutations. And it's amazing how you can say it in half of a sentence mm-hmm. and still, you know, without mm-hmm. appreciating the immensity of the effects of it. And there's so many downstream effects. I still see it every week in um, reading articles about um, Zen and enlightenment, because what's tricky about it is people on a Buddhistic path will very often experience the fear of not being. Not everybody does, right? But how are they trained to relate to it? Well, yes. when it arises, just be with it like anything yes. else. Just right. acknowledge it. 
don't right. attach to it like anything else. But just like the the uh, EBE, emotional body enlightenment, that's mm-hmm. not enough. It has to be intimately engaged with and felt. I was just talking yesterday with someone about um, we don't really have a word for um, like we we don't we, we, when we're thinking we don't have a, a verbal distinction to describe the difference between idle thoughts that just come and like mm-hmm. really thinking about something like what do you want yeah. on your pizza well, let me think you know like that's right. there's mm-hmm. active and passive and mm-hmm. it's the same with feeling but it's even more um, yes. dilute for people like yes. letting your feelings just come and go is mm-hmm. different than turning the volume up on the feeling like you're trying to wring every last drop out of a sponge and feel it with a capital F. And because feelings are seen, you know, in most paradigms as an obstruction to emotional or mental or success well-being, yes. it's just like, okay, yeah, we just feel it. No, 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 no. Wring yeah. it out, put that thing under a press and get every last drop of it because it's your soul and expression. Yes. We don't do that. And that's what has to be done with the fear of not being. Exactly right. Oh, I love the way you put that. And part of that ringing it, um, a great metaphor, is tracking it back to its source, mm. not just transcending its downline, most distal version as a feeling. But if you start to ring that out and track it back, you'll find that that feeling is smoke from a fire of uh, emotivity that is un- an unconscious bandwidth of emo- emotivity that, that is l- locked in the soul unhealed. Mm-hmm. And so we found we have a, I, I hate to use that word, but why not today? Uh, we have a technology uh, <laughs> in, e- in EBE, uh, spiritual technology, to attract, do exactly what Joseph just said, track it back to its source in the emotive, uh, moto-soulful domain of the of, of the being and find out and and let the worst version of it help prepare the person not just dump them into the deep deep right over the right in the moment uh bake away to that access so that that original wound of the fire that's creating the smoke of the feeling can finally resolve if you just transcend its dis- most distal smoky uh, thing, oh, let's just get a fan and blow away the smoke thinking you've put out the mm-hmm. fire. That's mm-hmm. another metaphor for what you just said there. Yeah. That's what it does, uh, both in in, uh, in in personal empowerment work and Buddhistic uh, uh, enlightenment tracks. It's the same metaphor applies. It, what was also implicit in what you just said that I want to make explicit is um, we would differentiate between the fear of being in personhood and the fear of not being in sagehood. So if someone doesn't do any personhood work and they start to get near um, this awakening territory where the fear of not being starts to come up, that makes it way more complicated because you're going to try to feel the fear of not being and there's going to be a potentially or even likely a lot of fear of being mixed in, in with it. And those two fears need very different treatment. Yes, completely different. Uh, it's like that. That's the that story I've told so many times. Uh, I was giving a lecture uh, about uh, uh, what it's like to go through this um, not uh, uh, space to a not uh, uh, a journey, uh, not end line end point, 
non a not not point a not yeah. point uh, and uh, a young man raised his hand as a, and said uh, i think i'm enlightened already and uh i said well tell us and he said well i i felt empty inside myself my whole life mm. and so there he was talking about an emo an emotional emptiness whereas buddhistic enlightenment was on is on the track of an existential void of uh, um, identityless beinglessness uh so that and, distinction pre and you know pre and trans you know yeah in the same way people with a lot of undigested shame are drawn to christianity because yes. original sin is an explanation for that Yes. Zen has an explanation for your depression that's exactly yes. analogous. Oh, you're you feel empty inside? Good work. You're you're 30% of the way there. Let's keep going. Yes. yes. And exactly. of course there's some truth in that. There is. There but is. um you're not going to be able to uh wring out the sponge if there's um <laughs> you know ball bearings inside it from the emotional <laughs> yes. body. That's not going to allow oh. it to be compressed. Oh, great metaphor. Tragically, I'm yeah. laughing. It's uh, exactly right, Joseph. And then even if you've done a lot of personhood work, in, in my case, um, before I started doing meditation and inquiry, um, it still is remains to be complex to sort out the different uh, hoods. And, um, uh, you know, I think there's surely some amount and it depends on one's soul history and all that. They can't ever be completely separated in someone. But it's in everyone's best interest to want to differentiate them as much as you can, because uh, I speak from experience dealing with all three hoods in a single day. It's kind of a lot. <laughs> you could say that, Sherlock. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not something anyone would choose. Um, so, yeah, you're best sorting it out. But, you know, the soul knows what it's doing. Okay, so to complete this um, about uh, what I'm working with, uh, how I'm working with Laura, is that uh, technically I am a, I am a present life, um, quote unquote, enlightened master, helping this parapersona whose frenzy of insanity of have of of still being having enough personal self reflect reflectivity to realize uh, to feel the terror associated with not feeling him, himself from that life and not and seeing everything else dan as dancing wooly masters uh um uh illusions well what happened in the past life i forget uh uh, he, the, he, they enlightened, um, but but was still bedeviled by it, the way he was like only halfway. Apparently, he was uh, out of his mind uh, just enough to realize to have the experience, the not experience, still having the experience that the eye was oh, right. not accessible. And everything else, everything else in the outside uh -huh, world. I see. Moving. So it touched That's, upon the notness domain to exactly. a, enough of a degree that it couldn't be shaken, but it couldn't be resolved. And then exactly. the mushrooms melted away or bypassed the defenses yes. that were covering yes. that yes. to bring that forward. Which drafted drafted by that uh, more Hindu like Kundalini event five years before. Well, yeah, and it's a it's a recapitulation, right? Because um, exactly. you know, it was in allness territory right before notness. So basically, her life guided her right back to where she was before. 
That's the miracle and the challenge of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, I'm doing um, uh, 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 pre, not, pre-dual, non-dual based therapy, mm-hmm. receiving at the same time Laura's current in, in, uh, incarnational pain mixed inextricably with this past life's um, uh, pain. They were one and the same, all mixed up, but I could feel the two different colors. Well, I can see why you were uh, inviting the, um, invoking the parallel with me in the the beginnings. I'm actively working on a sainthood version of that where I have a parapersona where in a past life, his selfhood was washed out by the divine. And so every personhood movement I make because that's in my soul history brings more of a wash of that divine divinity and brings up more of the, Oh shit. If I let this in, I'll be washed away. And then that's where I have to step in and go, no, no, it's different right. now. Right. <laughs> but without realizing there was a past life story there, I don't, I would probably be impossible to navigate that. Absolutely. Joseph, it would have had to get rolled over to another life. It would have been very slow, certainly. Oh, so slow. These things never go away. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's why I wanted, I I invited, we talked about, she wants to meet you too, because you have, yours is leading with a sainthood version. She, and you've got the non-dual going on also, and she's leading with the non-dual and she's got the spirit thing going too. Mm -hmm. It's just coming with different hoods at at a different moment. Um, so, uh, in that sense, uh, that's the diagnosis. And I was just receiving. And then what I reflected to her where I left off is that the heal, the feeling of this terror of not being, I was accepting it from, from this, from Laura's, uh, combination being there, uh, and reflecting to her that it was completely normal to feel that and not to try to transcend it but to go deeper with it and there's the there's the fork in the road and and of course that's not good news to her because she's got to live a life here Uh, and so she said what can i do so i got strong guy that was a diagnosis now the treatment um, and so I got really strong guidance to, um, have her do some chakra breathing yoga, uh, which we do in identity. Um, I, I, ha- I, I was a little surprised by the guidance I got, but then I got the wisdom of it after I worked it through my silly mental body. Uh, <laughs> it's always a good order of operations. Oh, always. Yes. Um, and what, what, what was going on is that, uh, I, I, I instructed her to breathe in the yin chakra four. Uh, just from the front, breathe in four, breathe out the yang um, uh, chakra of five in the throat of will, breathe in the third eye and breathe out seven. <clears throat> Breathing in four is, is remember in our in identity's picture of things, uh, fourth chakra has both heart-centered accesses to spirit in the seven direction and to earth in the one direction. And so I was splitting the, the, uh, the odds here that um, there were th- one of three possibilities that if that breathing, what it would do. One, by breathing in, uh, uh, in for and out will, some of the flow of four down to one might give her a little bit of stabilizing by drafting through seven. 
Because what happens in four is uh, prana comes in uh, and splits in four and goes down and up uh, both. And so by aerating and creating a little vacuum up this way, it has the counterintuitive thing of pushing some down, some flow down less. But well, some and that would be, one. you said, if I remember right, she created, intentionally created some kind of split in herself, right? Yes. So right. that would be undoing that consciously using the same intention. Exactly. Even though I didn't need to explain all that technical reason, I just gave her this exercise, but I'm yeah. unpacking it here. Why? Yeah. So um, she did it for a few days. Oh, that's the one, that was the one possibility. The second possibility is that going um, in four, out five, in six, and out seven um, would would re-link um, her a bit to spirit. Uh, to give her a feeling that might um, help stabilize a little bit this fourth, this um, this uh, uh, non-dual uh, terror. And the third one um, was that breathing that way would just intensify uh, the non the, the non-dual uh, event that she was having in slow motion. Mm -hmm. Well, she did it for four, three four days, and sh sure enough, the last one is what happened. Uh -huh. uh, it intensified it. And uh, so she was in a little bit of, I didn't explain to her what it would all do, but I did it in the follow-up, uh, what my, what my guidance was telling me to do. And uh, now what, you know, now what to do now she's panicking worse. She wanted to jump off the, uh, um, the balcony again, uh, uh, really strong feelings interfering with her day of suicide. And, and, but she had already had one uh, a session and a half or two sessions with me. And so she had a little bit, but she had, she could hold it, but it was intensifying the terror of not being and the, the proclivity to suicide as the solution because that past life had not been completed in mm -hmm. its terror, right? So um, uh, she, uh, I instructed her to keep at doing it. I gave her a kind of a choice. You could keep breathing that way. And I, I offered that, and here's the one possibility that that will get us downline deeper and faster to make it heal or 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 get to a place where it will be complete for the moment and all of that horrible suicidal version uh, uh interpretation feeling of that uh, uh um, terror of not being would be assuaged a bit mm -hmm. uh, uh i'm not sure uh and i we talked about this uh, she may be up for a satori this life at this stage in her life, uh, she may not. But what was really significant uh, was that very much like me and why we found each other, I think, is that she started with Saint, uh. then went to Sage, mm -hmm. and there was an insufficient personhood base, uh, which her, her, her facilitator actually reflected to her when she heard about uh, what was happening, that, uh, well, personhood should be a little more developed before that happens. And yes, that's right. Identity would say the same, but in the yin time now, since 2012, we're all going to school. Uh, the horse was out of the barn. Yeah. And just because she didn't have a base of personhood sufficient to absorb this uh, doesn't matter. We've got, we've got ways to help person who starts with saint, goes to sage, and then still has to do personhood. I'm the classic example of that, right? It took me how many years uh, to actually get back to the person, forward to the personal. Yeah. So um, she, she, I, I believe she is continuing to do the breathing and reporting in with me uh, shortly uh, um, every couple of days, uh, and so we, I had to um, uh, 
reflect to her to talk or get or in some way talk to she has a beloved at home and that's fine and he doesn't work much he's uh, apparently i didn't get all the information about it but he's home enough and he's got a, she's at least got a stable financial dynamic at the moment um, but to be prepared so that if something does happen where she passes out uh, in a yeah. satori moment uh, as a possibility, however remote it will work, what's going to happen? Uh, the, the people are going to panic, uh, try to revive her, and she might be, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and they'll assume at least she's having a stroke right. and to call the paramedics right away. And then, then she started. Uh, she, she saw that possibility, or what that what might what that might look like, and all of a sudden got terrified that she'd be taken away uh, into a psychiatric hosp- uh, hospital and uh, drugged and never let out again. And so, these are the complex uh, uh, realities that someone who's deigning to help someone in crisis like this has to has to be able to deal with. So and I also told her to um, to uh, talk to her to her her beloved in case something like that happens at home that he doesn't call the uh, yeah. um, uh, the paramedics. He's now listening to the podcast too, so they're <laughs> they're, they're uh, joining in on uh, having a co-created reality here. Cool. So there, there's how it stands in the present. And Laura, I know you're listening. Um, really, I just want to say to you, and Joseph, if you want to say anything to her too in your experience, uh, you're on the right track here. Uh, we're, we're all going to try to help you through this. And I'm really sorry it's set up that we can't be together personally, like I said to you. But it's always important to remember that in the end divinity times now, it really is much truer than before 2012 that we're never given anything that we can't deal with. That's so crazy. I was just going to quote Archer Schopenhauer. Can anything really happen to us for which we are not ready? I was thinking the exact same thing. It certainly feels like that, but that, that, that so many times, but that doesn't mean it's actually true. So great. Mm. That's great. Well, and Uh, the other thing I was going to say is because I can relate to the trapped, squeezy, this is impossible feeling Um, and to reframe that is in my experience anyway, it seems like that painted into a corner and possibility thing is often exactly what the conditions are that are necessary for the soul to step forward. Because in a situation like this, only the soul I has the quote answer. It is the answer. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now it doesn't have it. It, it is, is the answer. Is yeah. The answer. And, right. and, you know, I just experienced this going through several months of uh, real serious difficulty with my beloved and we seem to be coming out the other side of it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the answer. What, what was the answer? More me. Like, it's fine <laughs> now. Well, wait, what did you do? No, there's just more me here now. And so <laughs> I can see now that it looks as if the difficulty was actually completely necessary to squeeze up that eye, um, the soul eye, because until our protection mechanisms are faced with something that they can't deal with, Mm -hmm. they're going to keep on keeping on. So the soul steers us purposefully into situations that the protection of the soul can't handle. Yes. Uh, Like we say so often, uh, basing practice and failure. Yes, so exactly right. If things seem desperate and destitute, they are for one part, 
And that's exactly what the soul is waiting for. And boy, walking that razor's edge, huh, Joseph? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to say to uh, Laura, um, you're now, and to anyone else who's hearing this podcast and having some sort of resonant um, reaction to what we're saying that applies to them too, uh, there's help for this, but it requires a very incisive departure from the standard kind of help you would get from say, a, uh, I know a Kundalini master now who's gotten famous uh, of the world and she wrote a beautiful book and, uh, and uh, helping people in spiritual crisis is one of her things. But there's no way that such a, um, a, a kind of enlightened state can help with what the complexity of a parapersona suffusing a later incarnation of itself, threatening uh, uh uh, a, a, a suicidal kind of end uh, unless it's intercepted felt forward as such re and, sh and reflected as reasonable but redirected that um, if uh, the feeling of this terror of suicidal not being is the healing but for that you need help you can't do this alone almost never uh so so we have people like myself and brie and joseph uh, who can help people that way so again um laura we're with you here and joseph if there's anything from your point of view yeah uh, i was she, just gonna say she'd like to hear you say her name <laughs> hi laura nice to virtually meet you um there's something about the the leap off the cliff slash off the balcony there's something about that that my third eye keeps bugging me about like uh the the i hear i hear a message that says like there is a leap that has to be made mm -hmm. but it's not mm -hmm. off a cliff uh, and what that leap is i mean it's like obviously yes the notness there's a leap into that but there's something else is this mm -hmm. i don't know what it is but there's something about like there has to be a differentiation from the suicide because that obviously is not that that's part of the problem, not the solution. But there's right. some truth in that. Maybe it's just to feel the pain all the way that was behind the leap. But I don't know. I just get the sense there's some it wasn't it, what I get is that 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 in the past life that he chose to go that way wasn't accidental. That wasn't there was something very specifically symbolic about jumping off something like that. Wow. There's some significance okay. to it. I don't know what it is, though. Okay, so you're offering that to Laura. That That's really helpful because um, l let me add my piece now that just can, I didn't think of that at all. Or that never came to me. But what it makes sense to me is that there is always a leap when you choose to break from uh, uh, your condition or malcondition, mm -hmm. family, culture, whatever. Mm -hmm. And Laura, maybe... There's a personal thing you can feel into here from what Joseph just said to you. Uh, you oh, can't... what's the personhood leap? Uh -huh. Yes, uh -huh. what's the personhood leap here? Uh, that's that that could be behind that. That uh, that uh, what what's really scary for you to choose to do right now? An emotional um, leap. An emotional, which leap. may be tangled up a fear of yes. a fear of being leap that's tangled up with the fear of not being leap because they're both their leaps in both. You see what just, this is so significant. 
the what we said referred to a few minutes ago, the emotional personhood local version will resonate, even though they're completely different domains yeah. uh, of a personal risk that which you might rupture a relationship or a, a job or whatever um, mm-hmm. that corresponds and resonates to the existential terror of not being. And so those two, um, if, if, when it's complex, as complex as you are, Laura, um, when that happens, uh, Joseph's guidance here might uh, might help uh, uh, um, work it through to the next level of clarity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was great. And, you know, thanks. Yeah. And at the very least to um, I'm having that just like that moment in the beginning I was talking about, like I can see it so clearly like it's written on the wall, but I don't know how to read it. Um, <laughs> we has this experience at least a half a dozen times a day. Uh, bless her heart. The at the very least, there'd be a self forgiveness <laughs> algorithm to to feel more deeply into the pain that caused that past life suicide. That yeah. that was a reasonable, perhaps inevitable way of um, uh, of dealing with something that there was no other way to deal with. Yeah. And, um, so the investigation into what is that pain and what is that leap, um, that, that leap in the past life seems to be, it's like, it's symbolic of the, um, fear of being whatever there was personhood human stuff being mixed up with the fear of not being spiritual stuff because to end one's life is extremely personal. Extreme. Right? <laughs> and right. it's an act of love. Suicide is an act of love. On the part can of our say, can you say again that's right out of the identity playbook. Can you explain why it's an act of love? Suicide, it's so the opposite to yes, uh, right. It's not a sin. It's not bad. It's an it's an act of love because it's an ex, it's it's a last resort, extreme action from our protection mechanisms that are in so much pain they can't bear it. And, and so it's actually they're self caring. Yeah by suiciding now we're not putting out there that's the thing to do we're just saying if you actually take in what we're just talking about right now it becomes more sacred Mm -hmm. uh the impulse and there's a way to flip it positively that way that uh that it's caring not a sin like joseph says and and i get the sense that that's there's a there's a split in for you laura um there's a an aspect of um, unself forgiveness there, that if you really can hold and feel that this was an act of self love, mm-hmm. perhaps not the most productive. Who knows? No, not self fully um, for sure. Not not usually. Sometimes there's there's no way mm-hmm. around it. But um, right. that you know maybe that would help undo the split because there's a self blame there. How could there yeah. usually is when people have past life suicides? Yeah. And, you know, it occurs to me, this is a perfect moment, Joseph, to um, reassert uh, the enormous life-changing significance of the fact that just like Western religion, Eastern esotericism, pre-dual, um, transcendental, all that Eastern India and, uh, and China and Japan stuff, all was incepted in a pre-egoic stage of evolution. The I was not sacred. The I uh, was either originally sinned by some devil, right? Uh, Because uh, that, or it's an illusion. Those conclusions 
were reasonable for a pre-egoic phase of our consciousness evolution because the eye had no critical mass of attention. We were collectivized. The family, the society was all based in the, uh, the, the needs of the tribe, the needs of the family superseded enormously uh, any, any individual preferences. And that was needed for survival, no argument. Yeah. But that's not that 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 that, that kind of pre-egoic uh, uh, milieu or context for all all the Western and all the Eastern uh, religious and spiritual orientations is an artifact. It's a it's a it's a all of their proscriptions and diagnoses and treatments are all artifacts of a of a of an era that completely missed the significance and the realness and the importance of the personal I. And that's where so, we get all of our mores about suicide. You know, it's bad. Yes. I remember in college learning, I forget who it was, some Renaissance theologian said, like, you know, suicide is wrong because you're property of God and uh -huh. you're destroying someone else's property. You know, you're destroying God's <laughs> property. It's not your call. Yes, but, right. But you can do it. So, what are you renting with the option to buy? Like, how does that work? <laughs> oh God, I never but, heard that. Uh, yeah, but, go ahead. But yeah, our our um, and then what happens? Well, if suicide is bad, you know, and choose the paradigm for the explanation of that. Um, well, then depression is stigmatized, and then yeah. you have to hide it. And you know, all the time you hear about people killing themselves, and there was no sign that they were depressed, and they yeah. left behind kids. Well, because they didn't feel they could tell anyone, so yes. there was no way to even ventilate what they were feeling, and right. you're left alone with it, and it just becomes this negative feedback loop um, yes. until you're just cornered, and yeah. there's, there's nowhere to go with it. But um, yeah. as Jean-Paul Sartre said, uh, the, the only serious philosophical question is whether or not to kill yourself, which was a really great uh, early personhood reframe in a way, because yeah, it is a uh, serious question. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, bookmark it just for a moment. I want to uh -huh. come back to Sartre because there's something here that also applies in that domain. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. But so, Laura, uh, in, in conclusion here, uh, and anyone else who's listening, please, we're not condoning suicide. No. We're reframing it as in a way that hasn't been well reframed, in our opinion, before. And uh, that data should inform uh, a, a, a second look at the deep kind of impulses to act on that, to not act on it until you exhaust um, the support and, and help that is trying to come to you to make uh, to turn this uh, transmute this horrible experience into a positive thing for your life. Here, so. Here's a personal story to illustrate this. Um, a month before my third birthday, as Stacewell knows, I ran into the street and was hit by a car in my left shoulder. I fell down face first and the car braked on the plantar surface of my right foot. And after a whole lot of surgery and tendon transplants and skin graft, my foot was put back together and I was able to use it just fine, mostly. But uh, through my the through my EBE process, I recalled seeing the car and choosing to run in front of it. And uh, it, wow. it the whole thing got reframed for me from the inside out of like, oh, I wanted to go. Uh -huh. And the 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 disentangling of that both that like that you know i was not even three years old and i'd had some part of me had had enough 
Yes, already. Already. Oh, yeah. The angel soul had, had just had no way to integrate the human experience at that point. Uh, and then to it also was a sort of a, a, a vehicle or a touchstone to investigate the depression that was in me. And but you can't if you hold that suicide is wrong, even at the level of consideration, thought and intention, then -hmm. you'll never get to really know and feel the part of you that is considering it. Yes. Which makes it even more depressed. Yes. So that's the magic of differentiation is we're not condoning suicide, but we are condoning differentiating and fully exploring why that part of you would want to do it. Yes. All of the reasons intimately without ever letting its hands be on the steering wheel of your life. Yeah, exactly. If you don't differentiate unconsciously, it could steer you into the next oak tree uh, Mm -hmm. in your car. See, so uh, everything we're saying is about re-upping what is needed to make sure that doesn't go to critical mass and make another lifetime that you'll have to learn through every time we suicide. And I, I, we talked about this, Laura and I, too, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that um, every time we do, we have to create another life, maybe not the next one, maybe we need a few lifetimes in between, but we'll have to come back to this exact same point of, of, of horrific, unbearable emotion, emotional reality and not kill yourself. Work through it instead, and we've got the goods to work through it. But it's a, it's a zero-sum game here. If you suicide, you're, you're just going to have to do it again with the same kind of, and maybe an increased load of emotional uh, um, uh, uh, um, despair. Uh, so while there's hope, while, while there's people here who are offering help and explanation, both, emoto-soulful help and a framework to um, do that emoto-soulful work within. Um, make hay while the sun shines, you know, uh, yeah. work, work with us and we'll help you through this. Yeah. So um, uh, interesting what you mentioned, you mentioned Sartre because I wanted to uh, oh, yeah. refer to him. Uh, uh, wonderful. Uh, of course, his most famous book is Being and Nothingness, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the tragedy of uh, Jean-Paul in, in, uh, for me is that not unlike a lot of the people that are starting to come forward for guidance uh, uh, to identity these days, but he, he, his consciousness literally parked right at the junction of being and nothingness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't make the linkage. Uh, he was affected, of course, by Eastern um, ways of looking things, but he was a philosopher first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't adjudicate being, uh, and that's in two ways, uh, being is used in the East as identitylessness, beingness, oh, but being in another way is human, human. How do you translate all this stuff? So from, in my opinion, consciously or unconsciously, he was stuck right at that junction, couldn't go further into being and couldn't go further into nothingness. And so all he had at his disposal was the self-care of, um, uh, of suicide. So uh, when a philosopher commits suicide, what what you can take to the bank is that all the complexity and genius of their philosophy didn't matter. Yeah. Someone, an existentialist might argue, 
he did exactly the right thing. His 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 assumption was so right on. Uh, it led him to the only solution possible in the absurdity of the human condition. You see, it depends on your paradigm how you diagnose this. Yeah, but it's like it makes me think of uh, you know I've got some banana trees about a hundred feet behind me that uh, don't quite get enough light. Do they give up and just fall over and surrender? No, they lean, they reach, they get leggy. You know, it's yes. the, the, the instinct of being is in all things. You know, that's why flies throw themselves against your window a thousand yeah. times a day trying to get out. It's, yes. That's in the nature. Um, yes. So to go against that is always a clue. Even right. though it's suicide is an act of love, um, it's not the highest form of self-care. No, oh, that's a beautiful way to put it. And and Laura, um, what Joseph just said that that metaphor that that leaning toward creative aliveness um, that's exactly what led you to identity. Yeah, uh, something deep inside you. And so stay with that. We're here and we want to help. And you're an extraordinary example of a young person who has so much spiritual gravitas. It can't fit into the small box that your society and family created for you to identify yourself. So all that 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 older soul kind of those older soul kind of bandwidths um, are trying to come forward and expand your humanness, not just your consciousness, so that the spirit and the human can finally marry in a way that's always been the goal, but we didn't have paradigmatic support. How the fuck to do that? Yeah. So, wow, that's this is uh, important. It turned out uh, we didn't de um, uh, deconstruct some, uh, some basic Buddhistic metaphysics, but um, I think we'll pick that up next time. Mm -hmm. this, uh, this was about uh, where the rubber meets the road in something as unlikely as helping someone mental body and soul, which we call, uh, what they used to call uh, an undo enlightenment. We call it mental body and soulment where the net result is that the, the mind of the soul. eye replaces the kingdom of the mind of the mind. eye, and that allows all the roof to be blown off. So you have no limitations of dualistic attachment to the way your mind works or to dualistic reality, which we'll get into a little more next time on how that all works. But uh, the whole point of this is to show that all these um, metaphysical considerations are indelibly linked to diagnosis and treatment. They're yeah. the assumptions that shape the diagnosis and the diagnosis shapes the treatment. So if the metaphysics are not in accordance or resonant with what's really going on, you can get into a world of hurt with the best intentions for the standard traditional kind of treatments that are out there. Yeah. And for anybody who did not listen to episode eight and the ones sort of a couple before and a few after that, where we talked about um, the nine elements of all paradigms in, in episode eight, almost got on an episode nine. We should have thought about that, but oh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, there's not a week that goes by where I'm not. And I and I've 
known about um i've learned learned from stace about the importance of paradigms boy i don't know almost 20 years ago now i think now 15 years ago but mm -hmm. there's not a week that goes by where it doesn't impress me like oh wow like if we if if humanity could just think paradigmatically just think not even feel not process anything if we could just think paradigmatically right. then we'd be able to see what we're dead ending and yes. try something else <laughs> yes, the illuminator of dead ends, isn't it? When you're able to discern paradigmatic, um, exquisite paradigmatic uh, details that way or, or deconstruct them, you know, parse them the way we do. Before we close, can I read something and take just like two minutes that I uh, that fits here? Uh, and and um, my beloved was telling me I need to not just write these things, but actually speak them because something else comes through. <laughs> Oh, but please, Joseph, do. I've been um, I've been following AI more closely uh, recently because it's it's a really interesting. It's super interesting. We could talk for hours about how it's interesting. But the, I saw yet another headline that's like, "Will AI destroy civilization? How AI will destroy civilization?" And this came out of me at a uh, um, in response to that question um, uh, on a very sleepy morning about a week ago. How, uh, how will AI destroy civilization? The same way we're already destroying it, with flawed assumptions about reality, that we are mind, will, and energy first, that critical thinking isn't important, that getting the maximum return with the least amount of effort is best, that doing the minimum to get by is a good work ethic, that emotions are pesky byproducts of the mind that must be controlled or repressed, that God is either to be believed in or disbelieved in rather than directly experienced. It's not going to wage war on us like in the Terminator movies. It will enable us to languish because that's what we'll use it for. The very notion that AI could destroy us is victimhood, because if it does, it will be humanity destroying itself, which we're well on the way to doing. AI will just speed the process like machine learning does with anything. Human beings have more than flirted with self-destruction since civilization began. That's what war is. That's what nuclear weapons are for. That's what cigarettes do. That's what buying a gun with a credit card, no background check, and no waiting period is. That's what dumping plastic in the ocean does. That's what the mass use of pesticides in agriculture does. That's what overeating does. That's what repressing emotional pain with drugs does. That's what spending more than you earn does. That's what letting your kids take hormone blockers does. That's what oil dependence does. That's what selling lifelong subscriptions to pharmaceuticals does. That's what wow. a largely useless public school curriculum that doesn't prepare children for adulthood does. That's what a bloated, inflated, also largely useless university system does. That's what predatory lending and unnecessary consumer debt does. We're, all, we're already destroying ourselves with paradigms about reality that don't work. The question is not, will AI destroy reality? It's, will the false gods of humanity kill humanity? Will we learn from our mistakes and let go of what we're so afraid isn't true, that we grip our distorted ideas about what it means to be human and how we're supposed to live? Can we admit that while we've become technologically advanced, but in 10,000 years haven't matured emotionally as a species at all? Can we realize this is the problem and get to work on it? AI is perhaps the best thing that could happen because it will soon be the best attempt at a technological solution to an emotional problem that will brilliantly fail. And when the dust settles, perhaps we will have realized we'll hit bottom hard enough to consider as a species that maybe we need another way. 
a way that is based on a completely different set of assumptions than have ever been tested in society. I beg you, I'm, I'm sure that's about a thousand words or less, <laughs> to have that posted on the new website, which will be um, outed by autumn. Mm. Would you please, it's written, please, don't change a word. <laughs> You're stressing the way you stressed each one there. I, I'm reminded of Sophocles, uh, mm. uh, the the way that, the, that uh, behind every breath, that gave venue to these words uh, was a soul screaming to all of us and itself that there is a solution, but not yet implementable until yeah. you start to get curious about the way you live and why you live it. So that that's a clarion call that 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 the diatribe you just did it was so balanced and perfect and all those domains yeah. are exactly you you named every domain that uh, that humanity is shooting itself in the foot with so uh, ai is sort of like the um straw dog yeah. that might be blamed when it's actually the illuminator mm -hmm. in its shallow roots of collectivistic um, language forms that pretends to be alive. It right. doesn't pretend it. We, we pretend to let it be alive. Yeah, let's combine all of the flawed oh, paradigms into yeah. one model so it can yeah. efficiently spit back to, back to us what isn't working. Yes. <laughs> it's like maybe this sponge, the liquid I'm trying to survive on in this sponge, oh. I can't get anymore. But maybe if we have a hydraulic press... And yeah. I can get one more drop. Maybe I can live on that another day. Yeah. Wow. Uh, um, I love your diatribe. Thank your, you. One last point. The love of humanity that drove you writing that, Joseph. Mm -hmm. You couldn't be that frustrated unless you loved humanity so much to share that there's another way. Mm -hmm. So thank you for loving humanity that much that you got so clearly explicit, explicative the, well, the vagaries that we delude ourselves with. Well, and then one more tie back to Laura, um, that, that, that passion and the conciseness of this, which is, I write a lot and this is unusual. It came out in a way that normally I don't think I don't, yeah, I don't think I've, I mean, I tapped this out on my phone before I was barely awake. I don't know yeah. if I've ever written anything like this. And I have in large part that passion and that care you just talked about is comes from the freeing up of that para, para persona, um, uh. that has been stuck in the sainthood washing machine. So I want to say to Laura that, um, when your when your soul is there for this parapersona who's been stuck in space and time, um, there there are gifts from your own soul that you'll be able to reap, and yeah. it, it it just one second of feeling that makes months of being tormented by it worth it. So hang in there. Okay.
Joseph, I'm a little speechless. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, I, of course, can reference in myself where the worldview that allowed that diatribe to consider, be considered, formatted, and expressed, um, I, I, I was contributive to it. For sure, but, absolutely. You, but you, you said it in ways that I couldn't, and that's the whole proof in the pie of identity that it's not about um, uh, uh, copywriting philosophical information. It's about sharing it on a free webcast like this. We can't do the work for you, but we can tell you a different offer, not tell, offer you a different way of looking at things when things are the darkest. And that simple thing, Laura, uh, that that I heard for all my life uh, uh, that happens to be true, but not in the way that whoever the author was that meant it. It's always darkest before the dawn. Mm -hmm. That's another way that, of saying exactly what Joseph just said. Yeah. So um, for all of you out there who have a, even a smidgen of what Laura is, is uh, amazingly dealing with right now successfully uh, by being miserable, by being yeah, tortured. I was going to say it's things getting worse isn't usually a problem. It's when things stay exactly the same kind of bad. That's when yeah. you should worry. Yeah. But if the intensity of the bad is increasing yeah. and you've got a frame that sees it as it is, then there's always a solution path. And another soul to support you yes. in the journey. Because our voices are too twisted up, uh, protection to do it alone, and we can't get, we can't escape uh, so easily. We've got to have another point of view. So hang in there, you, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you soon, Joseph. Wow, um, that's all I can say is wow. <laughs> Thank you. I please, couldn't. Would you, would you please, would you deign to send me a copy of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And please put that on the bloody new website. Yeah, I will. We'll be announcing when that finally comes up. It's for mid-June right now. It'll take probably another four or six weeks. Well, we'll see. Okay. Thank you, Stace. Thank you, Flora, for, I mean, I can't really put the words for, you know, being a guest on our podcast today. Yes. Even though you weren't here. <laughs> thank you. Yes. And hang in there. Our hearts are with you. And, and I have a strong feeling that um you're going to get through this relatively quickly and thank you listeners and um, until next time we wish you well on your journey thanks for listening to the heart of soul podcast to learn more about stace baron and identity please visit identity.org to learn more about joseph shapiro visit clearandopen.com until next time we wish you well on your journey.